0: you by soccer 90 soccer 90 is your source for all fc dallas u.s national team and international club gear don't you know new arrivals are landing every day everything from chivas to man city to chelsea and even that crazy red and blue new usa gear and the fc dallas camo pre-match jersey is in stock now too limited supply by the way and all third degree listeners receive 25 percent off your order when you use the code third degree at checkout at soccer 90.com well hello there fc dallas curious fan welcome to another episode of third degree the podcast also known as group therapy (laughs) hi i'm peter And with me today, the entire crew to sit around and commiserate and support one another. First, Dan Crook. Hello,
1: Dan. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm going to go back to covering Mexico games, though, because FC Dallas is not good.
0: Well, you're that on the heels of England losing on penalty kicks. I mean, it's not been a good run for
1: you the last couple of weeks, has it? No, no, that was fine. I only believed they were going to win for about an hour of the entire tournament. (laughs) It just happened to be the hour immediately before three players miss penalties. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And there he is laughing because it's all you can do to keep from crying. Your hero, my hero, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Hi, Buzz. Hi, Peter.
2: Calling in today from the parking lot of my local liquor store because I'm going to drink through this one.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a tough podcast today, guys, because since we last talked, uh, the guys have lost not once, but twice. And, uh, and neither one of them were very exciting. Uh, pitchforks and uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And the crowd is getting louder and louder for Lucci out and Hunts out. Uh, Dallas, once again, now defeated on the road. Seven in a row. Uh, on the road, they have lost. In fact, Lucci's record now stands at uh, four wins, 23 losses, and six draws since he took this team over in 2019. And by the way, of those four wins, three of them took place in his debut season. The last time they collected points on the road was late last year in, November, uh, in 2020 when they beat Nashville in Nashville which was a revenge know. game because they yeah. had lost the national twice here right
1: they had well uh, and it's one might as well have been a loss
0: true uh all right guys uh, i don't know where i guess we could talk about the games in particular uh, maybe we should start with just overall thoughts uh, and just getting and, and and cleaning ourselves of some things off the off our chest buzz would you like to go first
2: Sure. Well, we're, I hope everyone remembers that we t- told everybody that this was a really hard road stretch. It was 10 of 15, and now it's 8 road and 5 of the, between now and the end of September, basically. So, And after this weekend, it'll be 8 and 4. So they're not out of the basically two road games per every home game stretch that uh, they're going through. You know, the bottom line right now, I think, is that even if this team was fully healthy we started the beginning of the season talking about it at best being mid table. If the offense didn't work, clearly the offense doesn't work and clearly they're not healthy. They're missing their two starting center backs. So even if your coach was firing in all cylinders, and even if you had nailed on all three of those offensive signings, which they didn't, you still would be in a world of hurt because your center backs, your, your, your DP paid level. They're not DPs, but they're paid at that level. Center backs are both out. So it would be tough. Even if everything was working and everything is not working. So they're in a world of a mess and it's not likely to get much better until they get a healthy number one, you know, and they're not going to get any reinforcements. I'm convinced of that. I think the only one they're going to get is the one they had. So it's going to be a long grind of a season and we're just going to have to buckle down and see how good a coach Lucci can be. See if he can coach them up and get out of this hole. Cause uh, there's no help coming.
1: Where are you, Dan? Um, the, Right behind Buzz in that line for the liquor store. Um, <laughs> I think the uh, the most damaging part almost was was Saturday playing so well in Portland and having that gut punch right near the end because it gave you hope. You thought they might turn it around. You thought they might nab a win on the road in Portland of all places, and then suddenly things look all rosy and no, no, they don't. And it looks crap. You know, and we'll get into the specifics of the two games,
0: but I want to uh, go and take a peek into the Twitter because FC Dallas' very own radio guy, Tyler Kern, during the Portland game tweeted the following, One team has Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco to bring off the bench, and you have Hadir Obreon and Emma Tuamase. And I really felt like that that encapsulated the differences between uh, Dallas and pretty much everybody else. And also sets the tone for as much as everybody is unhappy and upset and feeling like this is all Lucci's fault. Buzz, you've said this repeatedly, it's not all Lucci's fault.
2: Oh, no, no, it's definitely not. No, Now, listen, Lucci has a fair share of it. There's no question. But... It takes three people to run a franchise, you know, at the top level. And the other two are just as culpable for the situation we're in now as Lucci is. We've been saying for three years now, maybe even longer, that maybe even going back to the end of Oscars era, that Dallas lacked players that could make a difference, different makers. They lack Diego Valerios. They not, They lack Lideros. They lack Joseph Martinez's. You know, we, we have hoped And this is the one silver lining right this minute we had hoped that Paxton could be one of those guys and maybe he still can. And he started two games in a row, like in a four day span. That's a super exciting thing. We need to tap the brakes because he's still only good for about 50, maybe 55 minutes. He's far from being a hundred percent still. But if you want to talk about how you get out of all this mess, obviously we're going to all look at Paxton and hope and pray that he's going to get it done. But it's clear that, all of the signings that they've made, and this comes back to one of the two people that's not doing a good enough job, is all of the signings they've made since Brisson, because Brisson was not Andre Zanata. Every signing since then is Andre Zanata, and most of them have not panned out. The only one I like is Joseph Martinez, and he's hurt. So there's definitely a whole lot of fault going around with this front office. It's not all on Lucci. He deserves a lot of blame and a lot of criticism too, but it's definitely just not him.
0: I, uh, I, I you know, I, I think the thing that I struggle with the most when it comes to Lucci are some of the decisions that he makes in terms of substitutions. And again, we'll talk about the game specifically. But at the end of the day, the roster is what the roster is. Um, and for everybody that wants the Hunts to fire Lucci and bring somebody else's, I, I, I just hope we can all agree... There is zero chance the Hunts are going to pr- replace Lucci with anybody you're going to be excited about or anybody that is exponentially more qualified for the gig. I, I mean, are we in agreement, Dan, that the three likely candidates to replace Lucci, whenever that happens, whether it be now or next season, are Eric Quill, the coach at North Texas, uh, their, their, you know, their, their secondary team, Peter Lucine, the former French midfielder that's his assistant coach, or Marco Ferruzzi, who was a candidate for this job back when they fired, um, you know, when the opening was available the last time.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. They want someone that's come up through the system, that buys into the hunt philosophy, um, you know, and, and kind of crucially, isn't going to cost the earth. I mean, you know, in some ways, you know, when people are talking about, uh, you know bring in guys from outside of mls uh you know you can get your gabriel hence a uh you know instances where they just have no clue what the league does and is and just bomb out ridiculously um you know so in some ways they're kind of it, it's playing it safe but it's also playing it so that you know, at least at the very start and the first couple of years, no one's saying, well, this situation, shit. I want X amount of money and I want this much movement and, you know, things that just aren't aren't really realistic in the way the Hunts run things.
2: Yeah, let's say the Hunts go outside the club, which would be a first for them other than Oscar. We call him, even though he was a Colorado, he was inside the club in my mind, right? If, let's say they go out. You know the big foreign names have not had success. You have to know this league. So if you're going to go foreign, who, who's available that knows this league? I mean, maybe Zarco, maybe. The big great American coaches are all busy. They're all working and they're all employed. Maybe other than like Dom Kinnear, maybe, but he's not somebody the Hunts have a relationship with. Would they look at like a like a Jason Christ? You could probably get him. Is he going to come in and revolutionize this thing overnight? I mean, I, I like Jason as a coach, but I don't think he's going to come in and like turn this thing upside down and win a cup in four months or anything like that. So it all comes back again to the idea that there's no rush here. I don't think, you know, in the end, either Dan or not not even Dan Clark's going to decide with and when the coach is going to get fired. And so nobody about Clark knows when that's going to happen. And I think most of the time he's not paying attention to this club. He's paying attention to the chiefs. It's only when something happens that gets his attention that he pays attention you know, obviously. <laughs> so, you know, there's just like, what about the way the Hunts have ever done business makes anybody think that they're going to fire Lucci and bring in some guy and this team's going to ro- go on a roll and win 10 games because they're going to bring in some studs and the sub coach is going to wave his magic wand. None of that's going to happen. So they're going to ride it out.
0: Yeah, and, and certainly Quill, Lucene, and Fruzy, none of those guys uh, make this team exponentially better. And I do believe uh, that, uh, that even Bruce Arena if if somehow they magically got Bruce Arena to come in here with the roster as it is right now Bruce probably only makes this about the team that we thought it was could be at the beginning of the season certainly not a title contender you know just one you know, possibly pressing for a a playoff thing. And the difference between Lucci and Bruce at that point is, one, they're all afraid of Bruce, and two, Bruce just makes some substitution and roster, you know, uh, starting 11 changes that maybe Lucci is afraid to make or doesn't want to make for for whatever tactical reasons. I mean, anyone that
2: good?
1: 10 times the salary.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Is anyone that good that Hunts can't afford, number one? And number two, that even like the best coach you could think of as an American coach is only going to get this team maybe back to mid-table. You know, it's, it's not like they're going to win MLS Cup with this roster. I mean, we've seen the problems with this roster, so it's not,
0: you know. Yes, and my other my other concern is, is that if you are a coach with skins on the wall, why in the world would you take the Dallas gig? You
2: wouldn't, yeah.
0: Right? Challenge, and I, I to, guess. I don't mean to <laughs> depress anybody, but one, no. they're never going to pay you what some of these other clubs are going to pay you. But even if in a weird chance they would pay that, you know, the going rate for those kind of guys, with everything else that comes with this club – um, that's the problem. And in fact, I think it was, uh, uh, the much beloved sad FCD fan Twitter account that was talking about having somebody that was good at development and understanding the development of players and bringing them into the first team. And I was like, Oh, you mean Oscar Perea? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that'd be the guy. You know, right? <laughs> I mean, right. Like, for, for all we know that
2: maybe one of the three guys that we think of the candidates, maybe one of them is a really terrifically amazing, great coach. You know, I mean, maybe they are. We have no idea. But it's like it's a gamble either way. And if you're going to make it one of those guys, maybe there's a valid point to be made that you might as well get started if it is one of those guys. But I, I just don't think that Dan Hunt, who has culpability here. So he's invested emotionally and in Andre and Lucci. So he's he's part of it. So he's not going to pull the trigger. So it, it's it's got to get to a point where Clark's like, okay, you know what, it's time. And I, I just don't know that that Clark is going to care until it's come till it's off season review time when it's like, okay, we're going to sit down and now. We're going to look and see how we did. You know, which is when he gets involved. I think. So long yeah, way to go.
0: I, yeah, you guys may help me out with this question because I got asked this uh, uh, today. As a matter of fact, about well, you know, there's got to be a, a coach out there that. They could hire that would be good at, you know, developing and bringing, you know, having skins on the wall and also doing that while developing young players. And I thought to myself, um, I you know, if you go back and look at Bruce Arena's record, Bob Bradley's record, uh, Ziggy Schmidt's record, uh, any of the big name MLS coaches that have won MLS Cup or Supporter Shield, I don't think other than Oscar, there is a coach that. Fits the Dallas model in terms of homegrowns and bringing them into the system. They've all been, they've all relied on relatively high value uh, foreign player rosters, right? Uh, Jim Curtin, maybe? Well, he's got a job, but. Yeah, but well, I'm not even know. saying people that are available. I'm just talking about in general, in the history of the league, coaches that have won titles aren't coaches that have done it uh, on teams powered by homegrowns. Uh, homegrowns that
2: have won. No, not really. Even not. if it's just
1: a few of them. It, you, yeah, see what Caleb my point Portis is. your closest. Yeah, and Caleb Yeah,
0: yeah. My point being is is that if is that the the business model of Dallas is so complicated by the fact that it's good at this thing, which is developing young talent that now has international interest, you've got to find a coach that's willing to integrate that into your senior team if you want to win. and I just don't think other than Oscar Perea, there is a coach that has a history of doing that.
2: Well may, maybe you could go back to like Jesse Marsh with Red Bull when they they won two straight. They didn't win the okay. Impulse Cup, but they won two Sporter Shields playing a yeah. fair number of homegrowns. I mean, obviously, he's not available. Um, but, but you're right. Like, even that's one of the things we talked about. Even when Oscar was here and his teams were making, you know, that three or four year run where they were making 50 points, 60 points, we talked about how they still were lacking when, when Mauro Diaz was out or after Mauro Diaz had left. It's like, where's the special player that's going to rise to the occasion in the big game, in the big cup game, and win you the championship? There's a difference between 60 points. Supporter shields and MLS cups. Like we talk about it all the time, getting hot in the playoffs, the Seattle model, right? Those that takes your laderos, that takes different kind of guys. So, you know, I, whether or not there's a coach that could fit this model and win boy, that that's, that's tough to figure where that is. I mean, someday someone's going to do it. Maybe, maybe if the Hunts start to invest some of this money back in and they get a mix of homegrowns and can get a little more power on the DP level, Maybe then, but...
1: The reality of it is, it you know, the way that people look at it, if, oh, well, why isn't there a big-name coach is, is kind of backwards in this model, right? Take to Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, United wanted him because they saw he was a guy that developed youth at Aberdeen, and they were like, cool, we've got this great set of youth players about to come through, and we can throw money at him to, you know, accentuate that. Not the other way around. Not, oh, he's good at at youth and money. Let's just give him youth now. Right. Yeah, I think the whole thing... You're not going to get anyone like that.
0: Yeah, the whole thing is uh, very complicated and messy. And, you know, I I can't remember if the last time we did a podcast, uh, Dan Hunt's interview... A uh, two-part interview, the first part of it had come out in the Morning it had not, News. for sure, Okay, yeah. so, yeah, I think that, you know, I, on this podcast in particular, I had been bemoaning the fact that in the midst of all this, the, it appeared that Dan Hunt was just letting Lucci dangle out on a string and not saying anything publicly. Well, since then, uh, John Arnold uh, got an interview that's been published uh, two parts in the Dallas Morning News, And the second one I thought was the more interesting of the two because it's a lot of conversation about selling players and uh, coach this and coach that and, you know, hey, we'll figure it out as we go along. But he actually goes into this whole conversation, and this is the reason why I find the interview problematic, is that uh, that he he goes into a whole conversation about being curious about the league transferring to the European calendar, the traditional football or soccer calendar because – it would help the league generate more revenue in in selling of players because it would be easier to sell players that way. Well, and that's really the big takeaway. He, the big, he wanted the big takeaway of the interview to be, hey, you guys should be excited about Zanata and his skill set of us uh, buying and selling players. My big ugh. takeaway is that he seems focused on flipping the calendar so it's easier for him to sell
1: players.
2: Yeah, that just shows you where his mindset is, isn't it?
0: That
1: yeah. that's those, what they're about Those are now. the same thing, really. You think about... Zenota's background, right? Make his names, He makes makes his name selling Neymar to Barcelona. He, you know, is, he, you know, I mean, it's it's the Brazilian thing, right? You scour the lower leagues, you find the cheap guys, and you flip them to Europe. That's what yeah. they want him to do.
2: And in the other half of that interview, Peter Dan basically doubled down didn't he on Lucci yeah. and yeah. their system and their model and that they're like in this down moment and they've had some injuries, but they're going to coach it up and we're going to come back up because our way is the right way. He literally doubled down as we've been saying that he probably would. And he did. And this is what it's going to be like. There's this there's, other than people out there, everybody now expects it's only a matter of time before Lucci gets fired. Well, apparently everybody thinks that, but Dan, Right. So, and I don't mean Dan cook. I mean, Dan hunt. So it's like, why would anyone assume that Lucci's every time was a bad result? Everyone's like, Oh, he's got to get fired. Now. Why would you think that? Well, there's no signs from the owner that he's about to fire anybody. And especially because it's not Dan.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about this today. How many MLS teams have gone through at least one, if not more than one coach in the three years, Lucci has been here. And many times just based on poor results. You know Atlanta's burned through two, if not three, coaches. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, New York, uh, NYCFC's been through a couple of coaches. Miami, Miami's been, yeah, Miami's <laughs> been through some coaches. I mean, I, you see what I'm saying? Is, yeah. You know, you think in any other world, a coach goes, you know, twenty three and six in two and a half seasons on the road, they are losing their job, whether it's their fault oh, or yeah. not. Yeah, they're yeah. they're just gonna lose the, lose lose the gig. But, um, all right. This well, is now not th- any other
2: team in the world. This is the hunts team, right? Like how many times Peter, have we talked about the idea that, and from their behavior now, not what they said, their behavior, the number one priority is sustainability. Yeah. Right. The business yeah. model, the youth academy, the primarily first, the youth club, because that gave them revenue. And now the selling of the youth academy players, that sustainability is their number one priority. Now they'll say that they're about winning and all that stuff. Their behavior says they're not. I mean, they they try and win games, don't get me wrong, but their behavior isn't that championships are number one. Their behavior is that making money and making this team survive. And you, you can even look at the Chiefs model where early on they won a championship, but they didn't do anything again until they were able to, they never went out and signed crazy money on players. They finally drafted a guy that can win them a championship. And in their mind, I think, in their mind, the academy is the equivalent of that. They want the academy to produce enough players so they can A, win a championship, but number one, even before that, is continue to solve guys and make money. They want enough players to come through that they can do both. But right now the money's first. And everything they do says that that's what they're doing. And so why would you fire Lucci if that's your thing?
0: Yeah, and I also wonder, but I do wonder if they've realized that there's a wrinkle in their plan and that they get these kids, uh, these young players, uh, so kind of exposed to the, the, you know, the global market that they're not even able to keep them on the team for very long, and that, and and then the the knock-on effect that has on the season. So you have, you know, Brian Reynolds for half a season, then you sell him. You have Tanner Testman for kind of a season and a couple of games, and then you gotta sell him. You, you, those kind of things. Yeah. Or, or you got players like Chris Richards who never even make an appearance on your senior team because he's so farting good that some other team wants him and they buy him for a bunch of money and you never even see him in your Jersey.
2: Well, they, they learned from Weston that you were always going to lose somebody and they would rather lose them and make money than lose them and not make money. So that's the Richards. You're that's always going to happen. Yeah. The, but there is some chatter, Peter, by the way, that there is a little bit of annoyance with the way the Byron thing works because they they send over four or five or six guys like they do, and those kids all get a sniff of the big time. They all see the money that those guys make. They see the way the facilities are. They see like the way they get cars and houses. They they see this, and they come back like, look at Justin Shade, right? Like all the news now is like, Chase, I can't wait to go right back. And it's like, dude, we need you. He's like, no, no, I'm going, right? So like, there's a there's a little bit of a grumbling about how the thing works that these kids come back and their heads have been turned and now they're annoyed that they're back in Dallas and they're mad they're here. So they have to find a balance. If, if they are going to actually do what they think that they want to do, they have to find a balance between keeping enough talent to win and yet still selling talent to make money. And that's hard. So, I mean, it's going to be a painful process, frankly.
0: Yeah, but he, here's the great, here's the problem with that. The players that you end up keeping aren't your best players. No. Right? No, I mean, the not. only reason why Paxton Pomacall is still in an FC Dallas jersey is because he's injury prone. It's not because of a lack of talent. Yeah. He'd, be, he'd be playing somewhere, somewhere. Um, you know, overseas if it hadn't been for a hip injury. So, I, you know, that's the, great, uh, that's the great issue with all of this is, is that the, they, they grow these amazing players and the very best ones, uh, more times than not, we're going to experience very short periods of time with them in the jersey and the complicating factor of what it does to the team when they sell them halfway through an existing season. That sucks. Yeah,
2: that sucks. And as, as you've pointed out a million times, that's the problem with claiming that they're the Ajax is that Ajax does spend money on players. They have a great academy, but they do go buy guys too. So it's like yeah. you have to do, we've said a million times, the very best teams in MLS now either spend crazy money or they're a good balance of spending good money and having a really good academy. When you look at Philly, you look at New York, maybe a few years ago, you look at uh, who are RSL when they were going at their best a couple of years ago. Those were the better teams that had a good balance. Right now, Dallas doesn't have the balance and that's why the team is trash because they're selling their best guys and the players they brought in have failed and it's not good enough.
0: Yeah. uh, Before we get into the games, the last thing I want to kind of talk about this is that uh, all of this in the last week or so uh, brought me back to an article that I wrote uh, in 2018 in the day after they announced that Oscar was leaving the club. And it just angers me. Like every time I think about this, I just I physically get angry. When I realized what this club had in Oscar and what he represented to the team and how he was such this wonderful connecting tissue across the entire organization and how much he actually loved it. But his decision to leave the club was clearly 100% about the fact that he realized that the ownership was never going to give him what he needed to take his career to the next level, much less the club's. So you know what he did? He ended up taking a job with a club that was famous for firing their coach every year, <laughs> right? Yep. that's how bad it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted
2: he wanted the challenge of Mexico, but you're right; it was not being not getting the support financially. It was a big part of why he wanted to try something else it was like, he was, he never got the support he wanted and needed. Listen, if I have a dream scenario, if I'm an owner, I, I write that guy a blank check to come back and run my whole soccer operations. So I'm the first team Academy, all of it, like technical director ahead of it. Yes. You know, he may still want a coach, but I'm like, I don't care. How much do you want here? A million, two million a year, 5 million a year, whatever it takes, come back and run my whole soccer side. And then you hire the head coach, you hire the head of the Academy, you hire all the scouts, the whole thing. And that's, that's what I would do
0: yeah uh because and the reason why i say that is that if you go back and look at the roster of 2021 and you go back and look at the roster of 2015 16 or 17 there isn't that great a gap in terms of overall talent but there are massive differences in the results and I, At the end of the day, especially if you are a person that came into being a fan of this club in the last year or two and you're and you've only been subjected to the crap that we've seen in the last few years. There was a guy running this club that was able to make lemonade out of lemons, and he did it in a way that I still think is underreported and uh, undervalued uh, amongst the fan base and the general soccer community.
2: Well, the one thing I would throw in there is, I think if you look at every single position on the roster, it is a step worse now. Like you could go guy by guy and go, it's just a little bit worse at every position, and that's enough in a league of parity.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think. Well, that's another conversation. That's a different podcast. That's an hour yeah, of talk. Yeah. I, 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 what I'm saying is this: I don't think that the 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 gap between Oscar's teams and Lucci's teams are represented in the in the differences in the set of results, if that makes, especially three years into Lucci's deal, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's going the wrong way. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the first game to discuss is the game in Portland. Uh, amazing crowds, all that stuff. Uh, cool scenes, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I don't know. Buzz, what? A, pep, a, a Paxton starts. That's like the best thing I could yeah. say about the game.
2: Well, uh, the one in Portland, at least, was like they were in it. You know, they gave themselves a chance, but that really there was no... That game for me was about the missed opportunities, right? Pepe had a chance, you know, at the back post. Pa- Paxson had a chance at the front post. You know, in the end, it was another breakdown where uh, one moment where Che and Nicosi got caught up and left Brisson one on one with a Bobasi, and Brisson can't mark a Bobasi one on one. So, hmm. you know, the, the big takeaway for me is that what is this idea Lucci had, and I, I want to hear what Dan thinks about this idea because it was this idea I, I explained it, which was what Hara was going to be in as the nine. So that because he can play hold up and the idea was that Pepe and Paxton and the whole team, in fact, will be able to come out of their end as he was able to hold it up. I, I I don't know that I like that idea, but, you know, at least it had some explainable traction to it. I hate it because I don't think I think he's terrible. I want to play Pepe every game from now on. But, you know, it was a concept.
1: At least it was an idea. Dan, do you? I don't know. Yeah, I I I kind of liked it. I thought it was Hara's best game in an FC Dallas jersey, playing that hold-up ball. He was also dropping very deep to, uh, you know, to, to pick balls up and spread them out. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it, it was really more like playing a Pepe as an off-striker, just kind of picking up the scraps of what Hara was holding up. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it took the game to Portland for the most part, and. I, you know, I thought it was a solid performance. Uh, if they were a little less wasteful, that's that's your first away win. Um, you know, some indecision towards the end after uh, Valeri came in and completely changed the game, maybe cost the team. But. Yeah.
2: The, compare that. I thought it was funny to compare that game, with, which is a slightly striking team in Portland. Compare that to Colorado, who are well coached. And I thought it was really funny that when the game started – uh, Mark and, and and Steve were like, oh look, Barrios is on the left. I wonder why that is. And then Barrios proceeded to run at Justin Che for like thirty minutes. He's like, why do you think he's over there? He's targeting the seventeen year old. Are you crazy? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, to be fair to Steve, I think Steve did explain the the, he did eventually, the thinking yeah. behind that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, you know, the Portland game uh, fr- was frustrating for all the obvious reasons. And and again, I think they probably played better. Uh, then we'd seen them in a while as a team, but man, as soon as that goal gives up, that you could just see the the body language change, the oh. attitude change, um, and it just it, the, the the whole kind of overall whatever spirit there was in the group was all lost in that minute. But what I really found weird, again, and this gets back to the, the things that Lucci that he is culpable for. Are the substitution decisions like I just don't understand? You're chasing a game, and and y- you aren't taking defenders off to add attackers. You're taking attackers off and adding attackers, and I that line of thinking just continues to confuse me to no end.
2: Yeah, that's something I talked about that in back to back games now, and my you know instant reaction thing because it drives me crazy. It's like, particularly because in both cases you've taken off Pepe, who's your best goal scorer, but the idea that like that like maybe the next guy up is just gonna play slightly better. And it's like, what about that idea like th- that you don't make a tactical adjustment that you're just gonna go with the exact same tactic you've had the whole time and assume that the next guy in is gonna make us make a it click? It's like, no, when, when you're down a goal on the road, what what's the difference between losing by one goal and losing by two goals? You have to go for it, you have to take off defenders. You know, if you're in a double six, you take off a six and put on a 10. If you Or you take off a outside back and go three at the back and put on an extra forward. And now you're in a three, four, three or something. Like, you know, you have to overload zones and take risks to try and get back into the game. You have five subs too. So like if, even if it worked, save a sub and then shift a guy back, sub a guy back in and fix it back to where your formation or whatever, if it worked. Like we've seen somebody too. In the, in the Euros, somebody did that like twice. I couldn't believe it. It was like, you know, th- there are ways when you have more subs, even you should have had even more ability to do this and make it a- shifts in tactics and make adjustments. And he's not this, this idea that like, Oh, I'm going to go with the other guy, particularly in, I'll get to the sub in the Rapids game in a minute. One of them drove me crazy, but, uh, it's just a baffling concept. I really don't understand this one.
0: I The thing I wanted to say about the Portland game and trying to find something good to talk about was the fact that Paxton started. And Paxton was literally the only dangerous player on the field uh, for Dallas. And, and And, you know, I think Steve and Mark... Uh, tried to be nice and polite and say, hey, look, you know, in another, if you give Pepe that same opportunity five times out of six, he scores that goal. And if you give Pax that same opportunity five times out of six, he scores that goal. But those are all reflective of a team that's just in a bad way and bad things happen to bad teams. But Paxton did look dangerous, and we're starting to see the old Paxton of yore uh, reappear here and there. He's not creating all the opportunities, but he's he's getting better, but he's clearly not 90 minutes fit.
2: Yeah, the the burst in the turn is there, um, but you, you can just see him wear down over the course of the game. It, it, it happens less and less often as the game goes on. And right about the 50, 55, 60 minute, I can't remember exactly how much he played, right about that window, all of a sudden it's like, oh, dude, <laughs> you know, and they get him off. And, and, I'll, and We've said a million times now, be patient. Even Paxton said, Two years from now, right? He'll I'll be better, you know. Let's let's not go crazy and put too much on him. Like when people were talking about, oh, maybe he'll get a gold cup. fill up. are you nuts? No, no. It's <laughs> like to stop that.
1: Please no, you no.
2: Know, please yeah. no. I don't. I didn't want him to play against the Rapids. It's like, are you out of your mind? Don't put that kid in there again.
0: But, yeah, I'm not as bothered by the fact that he started the the Rapids game because he did mm. put in a, a really good shift. I, I what continues to drive me nuts, guys. Is the fact that two of your youngest, best players are playing completely out of their natural positions. And you got Pepe on one wing, you got Paxton on another wing. And that just, and there was so, uh, you know, in the Rapids game in particular, there are so many stretches of time where neither one of those players are involved at all. and But when you specifically get to Paxton, who is the only player on the team that more times than not will receive a ball and go forward with it without automatically passing sideways or backwards, which Jesus Frere is really guilty of, by the way, um, which is really maddening because Jesus can turn and go to goal. He just won't do it for some reason. Uh, it, it just continues to really frustrate me just purely as a fan that we've got these two guys just stuck out into, in, into the nether regions of the field.
2: Yeah, th- this is another one of the things you can put on Lucci. You know, I, I've talked many, many times about how I hate his concept of positional flexibility that he thinks guys can play all over the place. I can't stand that at the professional level. I think it's so important to specialize and become really, really great at one thing. I mean, if you're messy, you can literally play anywhere on the field and be amazing. But who? Nobody. those guys aren't in Major League Soccer. Those guys play for Liverpool. They play for Man City. They play for Barcelona. They don't play for FC Dallas. It's like guys at FC Dallas aren't that good. So the, the idea that you can just stick them anywhere is a disservice to the kids. It's like let, let them be great at one thing.
0: Yeah, yeah but Dan, isn't that isn't their playing in those positions reflective of the earlier issue we talked about, which is poor roster construction because, frankly, they don't have better options at either left or right wing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you brought in O'Brien and didn't, you know, you didn't get an maybe an adequate backup. Uh, you've got Khalil, who is, you know, even younger, um, albeit a good player. You've got same on the, on the left. You've got Vargas. You've got Shun. Uh, Shun. I mean, and at that point, you like, well, is Paxton a worse option on either of those? If you're trying to, you know, get Paxton's game on the field, um, you know, is is that just where you kind of squeeze him in anyway? Uh, yeah. I mean, roster construction is, is such a big deal in in this league. You know, going back to the Valeri thing, you can go have Valeri and Sebastian Blanco on your bench. He also had Blake Bodley, who I have no idea how he's a professional soccer player. <laughs> but, you know... That that's you know that's that's your roster construction right? You've got two two amazing players on your bench and you've got some filler. Whereas the FC Dallas, it's you've got a lot of filler.
0: Yeah, and I think the one of the very underreported aspects of the Rapids game last night, which we can get into now, is the fact that Colorado was missing three starters in Acosta, Vines, and. Um, uh, the kid up top, the the other wing. What's his name that plays on the uh, U-20s? Oh, I don't remember. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I forget his name. off. I, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, yeah, I, but the, at the least... Lewis. Lewis, Jonathan yes, Lewis. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Jonathan Lewis. Thank you. Yeah. So they weren't even fielding their best team. And let me say, let me get this out of the oh, way. Oh, they're good. Well, that was a terrible soccer game. I mean, oh, Colorado yeah. did not play well last night. I mean... Uh, That's not a Colorado to me is not a at least based on that performance. They're not a contender. They're a mid table team. That's that was a that was a snoozy game of soccer at best last night, but it is compounded by the fact that it, it, it is very clear to me that the overall kind of attitude of the Dallas roster is they've all just, I, I just get the sense that with that, with the rare exception of a little bit of here and there in a game, they've all just kind of like given up on the season.
2: Well, after the goals, they for sure did. I mean, for me, the Rapids is a team that's coached up above their talent. Yeah. That's a team where the coach, like, used the Barrios going at Che example, right? He targeted a weak spot and went at it. And it worked. That, that The goal came from that side, from Barrios going past Che and shooting under I mean, granted, it was a soft mower whatever, but, you know, and then the corner was, they're great at set pieces on corners, right? That's what they're best at, is those, that, you know, so that's, that's good coaching, you know? And you're right, as soon as those goals happened, it was like the team just completely quit. I mean, I made Che my man of the match because he didn't, he was like the one guy that kept fighting. So he was my man of the match for that reason alone.
0: Yeah, dan i want to know if you uh agree or disagree with me because in the moments of barrios's goal by the way let me just throw in this other depressing stat that i also uh, realized and tweeted out last night michael barrios has now scored two times as many goals against dallas this season than he scored for dallas last season scored twice against them this season and only scored one for dallas last season so let that soak in for a little bit But uh, on the heels of him scoring his goal, everybody was all over Jimmy Maurer uh, for that. And certainly Maurer is culpable for letting a soft one in. But I also thought that was really reflective of a very young player playing somewhat out of position. And Justin Che who made the terrible decision to not to allow uh, Barrios to get on his right foot and shoot with his right foot.
1: Yeah, I wasn't able to see the game, uh, but I, I mean, I've seen, you know, a condensed version on, on the MLS site and, and particularly the the goals. And um, I'm convinced that there should be some scorch marks on Justin Short's jersey and socks because Barrios burned him so bad on that one. Yeah, I, I, you
0: know, and, and in Lucci's post game comments, he even talked about the fact that they openly discussed the idea of not letting Barrios get on his right uh, and 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 get a, and get shots off. So, um, uh, you know, you've got two young guys starting in the back, and again, Che's not a uh, not a right back by nature; he is a center back. So uh, that's positional stuff and learning as it comes along. Uh, and but uh, again, I. I don't know what else to say it's just it's just a bad performance all the way around they can't connect passes they the passing is poor uh they don't seem to they've completely lost everything any you know when you the when the three of us got into an argument way back towards the beginning of the season About how good this team is overall. And I made the comment about, you know, well, what are they actually even good at? Can somebody tell me one thing they're good at? You guys jumped on me. You're like, well, you know, they're creating chances. All of that's evaporated. Like they're not even really doing that anymore.
2: No, they did that for two games and then they stopped. Uh, It's it's a mystery. It was was when Tanner was playing as a single six and they went with double eight in front. Now Tanner's a good passer as a six. But right after that, they brought in uh, Faku and he's played as a double six since. Now, I, I've been, we've been wondering why they don't go back to a single six, and it did occur to me when I was there in a conversation with somebody else and they brought this up, was that it's possible because he's missing both his center backs. So he's afraid to go with a single six when he's got Nicosia and Brisson back there rather than Martinez and, and Hedges. So maybe if they get those two guys back, maybe they can go with a single six and you can go back to a double eight look. But I don't, I don't understand why, at some point, you have to have a certain amount of faith in your players. Lucy talks about this all the time, right? That they're a collective, that's the next guy up and all that crap. Well, then, assume that your two center backs are up to the job. Play a single six, because that was when you were at your best. When you had two guys in front, it can be Paxton, it can be Ricarte, it can be Acosta when he comes back, it can be Jesus, whatever the hell you want to put in there. You know, that's when they were actually good. For, well, good-ish for those two games.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm sure the double six thing is also reflective of not just Brisson and not just Nikosi, but also having Justin Che out there. I mean, three over four, I mean, it's a really, they're clearly just trying to provide as much defensive cover as they possibly can. And again, uh, Cerio has been a bit of a a silver lining in this. I thought, I think that in many ways he hasn't been, he's not been an issue. He's not been a problem for the team. Um, He's played better than I think we've seen him play in a while. So that's probably good. Uh, But I am interested in what everybody's opinion on uh, Jesus' performance have been since he came out so hot when he got the start against New England and had those two great assists. um, uh, You know, I kind of feel like we're starting to see the Jesus that drove us nuts last year and the year before that.
2: Well, I feel like once Acosta left, that he's had to drop deeper in order to find the ball, and that kills it. Because when he's at his best is when he plays not as in the midfield, but plays up is that striker. And he doesn't do that the last couple of games he's dropped back into the, the run at the end of last, the last it was so bad. And even the run in 2019 was so bad when they're playing him pretty much as a real 10, which is not what we want at all. So part of it is because they're going, they're playing such a heavy, low block now, which is all part of this defensive problem. You know, it's, I, I think if you had guys that can really link and get forward, if Acosta was in there, if, Paxton was healthy and in there, then I think Jesus would be higher. And that's, for me, the real mystery of the last sub, the idea that you had so much faith in Jesus that you took off Hara uh, Hara and Pepe just so you could put Jesus up front as the nine, as a false nine even, but as a nine, because he was going to solve it for you. And I was like, that's crazy. It's like, what... That's how much you love Jesus. Is that you're you're yanking off every other striker and like, well, you know what? He hasn't. He's been in the midfield, but fine. We'll put him back up top, and it will be fine. No,
0: not fine. Hmm. Dan, you've been awfully quiet, and I'm going to assume a lot of this is just because you haven't seen a lot of the, uh, at least the Rapids game. But
1: yeah, I'm just much. It um,
0: make us feel better somehow.
1: No, I mean, um, I mean, my only point of reference on Jesus is the Portland game, and. Uh, that was horrible for him Uh, the team played well and he was kind of not part of that you know it was uh, yeah it's they're trying to find solutions that work for individuals and not necessarily all individuals so you know having Hara hold up trying to get Pepe into games doesn't necessarily work for Jesus yeah. It, it it's almost it's it's pretty similar to the whole sticking Paxton on the left wing thing, right? You're just trying to say, well, you're trying to play it like a game of FIFA. Let me put all my all my guys in. I don't care where they go, they just have to be there somewhere. No. Not like an actual game of football where it's like, well, Paxton may not be as good on the left wing. Jesus you know being forced into almost like a more of a more of a box-to-box eight eh? is not his game. Pepe on a wing, not necessarily his game. Okay, you found one good thing. You found that Hara's pretty good at hold-up play. Great. You, But you broke three players to do it.
0: Yeah, I. you know, as far as Hara goes, again, I, I want to give him credit for trying hard, and I do appreciate that. But there were so many times, specifically in the uh, uh, game last night in Colorado, where somebody would feed him a ball at the top of the box with his back to goal. And instead of holding it, it would just bang off his leg and he'd turn it over. And it's like, that's a lot of money for a guy that can't hold the ball up consistently at the top of the box. When you really need him to do it. You guys want a minor
2: Huntsman dump on a uh, Franco Harris contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it turns out I'm told that the, I don't know if it's going to make you feel better or worse. The whole 2.9 million is not all salary that a chunk of it. And I was left with the impression that like the 0.9 part is like a signing bonus from when he first joined mm-hmm. that really his annual salary oh, is, is more. Yeah. That that. Yeah. You know, those pro those MLS union things are, that it's all combined a whole bunch of numbers and every once in a while you get a coach that complains. It's like that guy doesn't make that much money. Well, this is one of those cases. Apparently, I'm told by people that yeah. would know that hard doesn't make, I know it's a minor husband. But I'm just telling it's not important. I'm just telling you it's a technicality. It's like the money is all going to him. I'm just saying that like, the only reason it matters is if you want, if you're trying to buy him out, maybe you're only having to buy out that last two mil for next year and not the whole as much possibly because you've but, already given it to him because you already gave it to him before <laughs> when he got here. So there's a technicality there, but it, you know, it is, like I said, it was a minor one, but you know, interesting. Yeah.
0: I, you know, I, I my attitude about that stuff is is the following. The only part of the of a player's salary that I really ultimately care about is the is the number that impacts the salary cap. Yeah. And because everything beyond that is just money that the owner wants to spend on their own accord. And I don't care if they it, it doesn't it doesn't change the rest of the roster, per se, I think. Um, unless you want to say, well, because they gave him so much money beyond his salary cap, they're not giving it to somebody else. And and I guess maybe that would be the reason why you get angry about horror making so much money.
2: Well, you know, he's, then he's a DP 625 K or whatever. That means he's actually getting paid less than hedges. If you're only concerned with the cap, but. You know, like I mean, everyone that's above that DP threshold, you have to buy down. So, like the most anybody ever hits is that I was at like six twenty something like that right Mm -hmm. now. So, um, So, you know, the the problem is is that the reason we care about the two point nine million is because we care about the hunts, the way they care about their budget. Like they're not going to go get another deep. They have an open DP spot more than likely.
0: It's because they're paying one guy three million (laughs) dollars. What were you going to say, Dan? I think I cut you off. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I was just going to say that was uh, that was a moderately steamy dump. Good job
0: yeah <laughs> that's flavorful weird um now uh so this all speaking of all of this is uh we finally had a ricarte sighting uh in the in the rapids game last night i don't think he did anything and i don't know if i should if that's reflective of why we're not seeing him or if that's reflective of the fact that he's just not getting any time so he's super rusty i i this is a guy that you know they signed a great acclaim last season and now is essentially evaporated somewhere along the lines of just somewhat better than Eddie Majoma
1: go Dan. well i was it wasn't even gonna be something about uh his play I was gonna say when when you said that it reminded me that uh you know here at here at third degree to podcast, we're not exactly known for uh, pronunciations of names, but nobody could top the Colorado commentators who said, "Oh, and here comes Ricky Arty. <laughs> 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 That's a good one. I wonder how much you want to
0: bet if we go look at the pronunciation guide, it probably after yeah. the way they after the way they phonetically spelled uh, Faco's name. Um, I wonder if that's
1: how Ricartes is, is phonetically spelled. Ricartes. Oh, I guess, yeah, yeah, that, that is how. Yeah, but you would have to be pretty stupid to <laughs> think that, you know, that that would pronounce as you are. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, I well, think, you I know
2: in terms of his play, I thought he tried to do a couple of things, but he kept by that point, the rabbits were like in sit deep and block it out mode. So it's like, he just kept running into people. You know, the, the the problem for me is like when I had a, when I had a conversation with Lucci a week ago, we talked a little about Ricarte a little bit, you know, he talked about the lack of score sheet production, lack of assists. It's like, you're not getting us wins, you know, it's like, and then it was, and then it was, He's like, we're probably going to start looking at him more as an eight. I was like, what? Like, what? didn't you understand? Like, we understood last summer. Like, the first game, we were like, even when we were watching the video before he got here, I was like, shit, he's not a 10, he's an eight. And he got here, and we're like, first game he played, not a 10, play him as an eight. Play him deep. And, and we knew that right away. And so why are we still discussing, like, we might use him as an eight? What else would you do with him? That's what he is.
0: Yeah, and, and I again, I, I think that's one of the great mysteries that we have as people that watch this team is that we're not paid coaching professionals. We don't have coaching licenses, but this seems so critically clear to us, and I don't understand why it seems like such a, a weird mystery or, or something that they see so differently than we do. Uh, and they're the paid professionals to do it. I, I don't I, he, I just he even don't get it. He even presses like he doesn't tackle, but he
2: has more presses than anyone else on the team. More challenges. You know, like he doesn't win them at a high rate and he doesn't tackle hard or anything, but he does the linking job. He does both things. It's like, why in the world would you put him in as a 10? Or like the other day, when I watched him play off striker in training, like you guys are out of your mind. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's not
0: that hard. Yeah, it is. A, it is a great mystery. So now the team rolls onto their third game in a week. They play Saturday night, the galaxy come to town, uh, and that game is at seven thirty. What we don't know at this point is uh, the availability of one chicharito, which I find interesting. The, the interesting aspect of this is is that quietly, at much to my surprise, ever since they've allowed the reopening to a hundred percent, Dallas has had fair is actually ahead. Of their 2019 attendance numbers, they're averaging somewhere around uh, 16,000 in those three games. One of those is the July 4th quote-unquote sellout game. So I think they've had a 14, a 16, and a 19. So they're right around that 16,000. And I was thinking, you know, in the midst of this completely terrible season, I find it very odd that they're going to continue to probably have good attendances, assuming Chicharito shows up.
2: Well, it doesn't look like he's going to show up. I mean, right now he's listed as out. So, I mean, unless it changes tomorrow, I'm assuming he's not playing. I mean, even at best, he's going to be questionable or whatever. So, we'll have to see who I – mean, they're missing a lot of people, you
0: know. Yeah, that, LA. Uh, yeah. Well, they got a lot of call-out. Yeah, they got people yeah. playing in the Gold Cup. and Yeah, well, Legette's
2: gone. So. Efron Alvarez is gone. DeSantos is gone. Giancarlo's gone. It's like, you know, they got a couple of guys that are hurt. You know, it's it's like that. It's like, was that eight guys? So it's yeah. like, yeah.
0: And what I found interesting about that was uh, in the broadcast last night, Steve was uh, saying that Lucci was being adamant or had been adamant to Steve that he was going to make wholesale changes uh, in this game just because of the fact that it was their third game in seven days or less than seven days. I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means Ricarte starts and... Sealy starts or what happens at this point?
2: Well, it'll, some of that will depend on whether Martinez or Hedges are, are back. I don't think they will be because Luchy said a week and a half when I talked to him last and that would be like they would come back Monday. Um, uh, but well. the part that you do know for sure, just a second, and the part you do know for sure is that when you come back home, you don't need uh, Hara to play hold up. You can go back to Pepe as a pure nine. So that changes a lot of things and shifts a lot of pieces in the front half probably. So we'll see.
1: I was gonna say I went along to the regen session they did on Monday. Uh, Hedges was doing a little bit of ball work, a little, you know, doing some some turning and you know, like still fighting pain, rehab kind of stuff. And Jose was nowhere to be seen on a day where if you didn't play, you're out training. So yeah, that doesn't bode well.
2: Well, I, I would assume that if Paxton didn't get hurt, if he came out through it okay, then you assume Paxton's going to be on the wing. Pepe will be back at a nine. That means you need another wing. And based on the Rapids game, I'm actually completely ready for uh, Shun to get a start. I'm in. Give him a start. He at least, as you mentioned, Peter, Paxton was the only guy that would turn and go. And he did that. Shun did that like over the last 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, yeah. Did. Put him in, let him play off with Paxton and let him play off with Pepe. Let's see what he's got, right? Why not? He's been back for a couple of weeks. Let's do it. You got double pivot behind him, right? With Serio and, and uh, uh, Faku. I assume, you know, the, the real miracle is I'd like to bench Brassan. He's been playing like crap. Part of the reason probably is because he's on a red, yellow card warning. So the minute he gets a yellow card, he has to get suspended. So he's no, probably he playing. Doesn't. Well, he did he, as of uh... last game.
1: No, he's he's had one of them forgiven. He played the three games to without a yellow to get one oh, taken off. okay,
2: good. Because literally last game he was still on the get one list. So that's good that he's passed that up. Oh, so.
1: unless that's five because it was Saturday was his third game.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I was sitting here. Uh, I've been thinking, trying to figure out like if, uh, you know, Lucci called me and said, hey, Pete, could you uh, pick my 11 for this weekend? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and, and you guys, I would love to play this game with the both of you as well. I, I, it, uh, assuming that the back line is what it is, and, and we don't have Martina and Hedges back, we'll leave those same four back there. But in my mind, the starting 11, and I'm going to be nuts here, is that it's Faco and Ricarte with Paxton in the middle. And you put Shone at left. And you put Pepe at this your start at your striker. The one question for me is who plays right wing. Who is the player that they can put on that actually can make a difference on this team, uh, or at least not you know screw it up. And I'm not sure I have an answer to that. I I know you're. I know people are going to well put Jesus over there, but I th- I think that's a total waste of time. I think you need somebody that's willing to run a little bit more than Jesus. So maybe it is O'Brien. I don't know. Any other ideas? Well, I'm
2: not is okay. Uh, I think he is not quite ready to be like an MLS guy. But uh, I honestly would, would be ready to try Dante Cili. Um, You know, he mostly. Are you with
0: me on the rest of that eleven, though?
2: Well, I'm with you that with I would love to see it happen. I'm not with you that it will happen.
0: Oh no, I'm just yeah. yeah. No, Lucci called me and asked me, so yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm giving you my eleven. I just want to know if we all agree that at least up to that point, you were in agreement with
2: me. Well, I don't, I don't know that Faco shows me enough that I wouldn't want to try Evan in surreal for a game too, as a single six and see what happened. But with um, Ricarte uh, and PAX, with Ricarte and Paxton or yeah, Ricarte okay. and Acosta, if you can get him back, but um with Ricarte and PAX, it'll be fine. You know, Emma Tumasi can play on the wing over there. But as I say, I, I got to the point where I'm, I've seen enough of Dante Sealy like late in a game where I like a little bit of what he's doing late in a game. You know, at some point, Give the kid a game and see what happens. We're at a point in the season where it's like, why not try it? You know, and see what how it goes. If he's crap, you got five subs. Yank the kid at halftime. You know, it's there's a lot of things right now that are worth a shot, and he's got enough mobility and enough end to end play and enough verticality that I I think it's worth giving him a go. I mean, Lucci won't, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's worth trying. (laughs)
0: Well, I would like to see him start just based on the fact that he tried to dribble through seven guys last night. It yeah. seemed like and he, almost, <laughs> he does that. And he, yeah. and he almost pulled it off.
2: Yeah. He, he he often will try and go at four or five guys at a time, but doesn't usually pull it off. That's it's one of his downsides his lack of wisdom of when, okay, look, there's five or six of them, it's not going to work. Yeah. But, you know, at some point, you got to give the kid guts points for giving it a shot. You know, screw it, put him in. What does he got?
0: uh i didn't hear your uh i didn't hear your vote of confidence support or uh disagreement on that starting eleven Dan.
1: but you didn't hear anything against it
0: i know i said or disagreement so that's why i'm wondering did you are you up for that or you got sure. your own eleven no no, I'd, like no
1: I'd, I'd be totally down for that yeah um yeah i'd be down to see the uh Seeley or or our Medcar get a game too, just to see what what they can do over the 90. All right. Well, um, I highly
0: recommend everybody go read the two articles with John Arnold over at the Dallas Morning News, just so you can get your fill of uh, Dan Hunt uh, saying Dan Hunt things, Danisms, Danisms. He doesn't, yeah. you know, he doesn't really ever give the dreaded vote of confidence, uh, but he also says a lot without saying much of anything. It's very unusual. Oh, boy. Yeah,
2: he he and Lucci are on the same page with the soccer talk, with the soccerisms, you know, lots of uh, the crock verbiage all put together in a meaningful way that doesn't really give you a whole lot.
0: All right, so 7.30 at Toyota Stadium up in Frisco, the Galaxy are in town, Uh, you know, buy your tickets now, as they say. Now, in other news, it is amazing to me, and I think this was best voiced by the original fan, Dustin El Jefe, who said... (laughs) It's amazing that Dallas could be having what is arguably, if not their worst season, it's at least pacing on their worst season in club history, and yet they're not even the worst club in the country. And that would be Inter-Miami, which are at the bottom of the table with the largest salary and are sucking all, all the air out of the room in terms of attention from the media, in terms of just how bad they are. It's like nobody seems to be paying attention to how bad Dallas is because Miami is really just that bad.
2: Yeah, and lost in the crossfire there is Toronto is also worse than Dallas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they, of course, fired their coach. Toronto did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's some dumpster fires happening. You know, I mean, Chicago is dang near as bad as Dallas. Vancouver is dang near as bad as Dallas. Cincinnati is barely better. San Jose is
0: not much
2: count. I mean, there's a lot of bad teams in this league this year.
0: Yeah, it is amazing to me, Buzz, the number of just terrible teams there are in the league this year. I, you know, I've I've picked up and watched some MLS games here and there, uh, and there have been there more. more. I don't know if it's – and maybe this is because of the, the, the condensed schedule. I don't know if it's post-COVID or what it is, but I do have the overriding sense that the overall quality of the games this year have dropped off considerably since 2019.
2: Well, some of that, of course, has been, you know, some of the best players taken off for various summer tournaments. I mean, this is a summer of tournaments, you know, yeah. with the Gold Cup and the Euros and, and Copa Americas and all that. And that that obviously hurts, you know, and some things that I think sometimes you feel like the teams get worse when you have to watch the really great. You don't have to when you choose to watch the really great soccer and then you come back and watch Major League Soccer and it suffers by comparison. Um, but there definitely is. I agree there's a little bit of a top heaviness to the league this year. There's a few teams at the top that are kind of running away with things as opposed to like all these teams at the bottom that are just kind of, you know, farting along doing nothing. And that's the crazy thing about Dallas is they are only three wins out of the playoffs. It's like, <laughs> it's the stupidity of the bottom of this league right now is that there's, there's like 15 teams that all think they're still in it, you know? <laughs>
0: Well, until you look at Dallas' schedule for the rest of July. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. especially once you get past this particular weekend, it's not good. Now, the other stuff that uh, has occurred outside of this was um, that all really pertaining to the USL, the second division and the third division, USL Championship and USL 1, the first news is that because of the new MLS Reserve League that they're launching, they have now officially announced or the striker is, is reporting that all of the MLS teams in both the championship and USL one are out, or is it just a a particular number of these teams? Well, they
2: said that everybody, but four teams are leaving USL. And then the athletic filed that up that said, yes, but the only four teams that are staying are only staying for one season. So it's, you know, one of the people that I've talked to about this told me that what they understand is that MLS teams have been told flat out you're joining this reserve league. You're not staying in USL, uh, and it's interesting that USL immediately has had a, a league meeting. I think it was already scheduled, but they did not. They basically told the US the MLS teams not to come. So they had like a USL only league meeting down in San Antonio, and so, so there's some really crazy news that came out of that, which we'll get to in just a second. But um, North Texas is definitely going to the new reserve league. They're one of the teams that's leaving USL One. Um, USL One. I'm sorry, MLS is opening up this new league to independent teams. So far, it doesn't seem like any of them are biting on it, but it's going to be important because you want to have this open structure where you get to play against guys. You don't want an under 23 team or an under 20 team only league. You want grown men and adults to play against, and you want to go to venues that are difficult to play in because if they end up with an all MLS reserve team kind of situation, we could be looking at like the training field kind of games out of the stadium again. You know, I mean, they could pull back on North Texas in terms of, they have one more year at the Globe Life, but you know if ever, if Toronto playing on a training field and and half the teams in the league are playing on you know outside their stadium on some piece of crap with like five people there, that's going to be terrible and worthless.
0: Well, it does certainly sound more like a, a a reduction back to what they used to have, yeah, prior to the USL One stuff. So. Yeah, that's that's not good. And it, then the other you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I
2: was gonna say it'll be interesting to see how North Texas navigates this, FC Dallas through North Texas, because this is absolutely not what they want. They don't want to go back to that reserve league. There's a reason why Oscar fought so hard to get this reserve team made in USL. They want the stadiums, they want adverse crowds, they want to play against tough teams. And yet if they're gonna be forced into this league, there's a whole bunch of teams that are really not happy about this in MLS because of what it's starting to sort of shape up as. So it's going to be interesting to watch to see how it finally breaks.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, probably forgotten along in the mess is the fact that Oscar really wanted the you know the Hunts to put this uh, team in USL Championship. Oh yeah, uh, he was demanding about it, and they were like, "No, it's cost too much money." And mm-hmm. and to be fair, uh, considering what a money pit this club, uh, that particular team is, North Texas. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing's a money pit, but. That thing is such a, a loss to them. The, the amount of money it would have cost them up front to join USL Championship was just prohibitive and, and never really acceptable. So I, I, I kind of understood that. Now, coming out of all of this was also the news that The Athletic reported that the USL, in that meeting that you mentioned, discussed this whole idea of them building a promotion relegation structure uh, within the USL, but limited, I think I'm reading that correctly, to USLC and USL1, correct? Correct.
2: Yeah, it's just between the two full professional leagues. And what was so fun about it was that apparently a whole bunch of clubs were caught off guard by this whole thing. And if I, if I read it all correctly, basically like the commissioner of the league got up there and gave like this keynote speech of we're, all the MLS teams are out. They're not here. This is our chance to separate and differentiate ourselves and make us a competitor. And how we could do that would be either or promotion relegation inside of our league. Or a winter and or a winter schedule, maybe both, maybe just one. So the idea that they would shift to play with the rest of the world to make themselves more appealing to players, to fans that want to have that structure. So all of it's fascinating, including the idea that they you know, basically locked out all the MLS teams and told them not to come, which is yeah. awesome, <laughs> you know. And again, that's part of it. Like that's going to change the landscape, right? There's there's teams that play in the USL league. There's teams that play in the in the academy wise, the academy pro, the the MLS one, the USL one, or both. You know, there's teams that have relationships. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see how things happen over the next year or two. And in a real kick in the pants for North Texas SC if they do bring in promotion and relegation. They could have easily stacked the deck for one year and gotten themselves up into the championship and then gotten it for free, if you will, you know, mine because they have the venue would it for have been it free. It would have been free in the sense that, like, well, why would it not be if it's not free? Why is it it's not promotion and relegation? Then you got to buy your way in. Right. If you win your league, you're up and there's a stadium requirement. Globe life fills that stadium requirement. They could have gone up easy.
0: Yeah. So, I, well, no, I, I, what I'm saying is, is that if I'm U.S., see, there's a whole business aspect of this that I've, I have so many questions about, which is it, our understanding was, is that if you wanted to be in USLC, the fee was what, a half million dollars? Last, last
2: time I saw it published was 12 million for USL
0: championship and, and uh, something else. And like, it was a half million for USL one. That sounds right. I think that's what it was. I mean, the yeah. difference was the it was a Grand Canyon size financial gap. Yeah. So how does... The U- How does the USL sort that out financially if suddenly now they've got guys that have paid $12 million to be a part of USLC that now face the fact that they may get relegated into USL 1 against the team that paid a fraction of that? And, I, and that's the part in this that I don't think is going to cotton with everybody. Uh, because that's not the structure they bought into. And I think there's a whole lot of things that have to be sorted out and agreed to yeah. before anything. Look, at the end of the day, I would love to see this happen because I've had it shouted in my face for the last however many years that this country needs a promotion relegation thing. And I keep saying, great, if you think it's that wonderful, find a bunch of people willing to do it and prove it to us. And here is the testing ground. And I certainly am excited to see all of those people who have been yelling at us about promotion relegation immediately running out and buying season tickets and watching every one of the games of their favorite USL team. Uh, which by the way, will be a clearly substandard level of soccer to even MLS, which is a league they all say sucks. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I, you know, I'm really, really encouraged at the opportunity for all of these people that have been demanding about this and really have an anticipation of some high level world class soccer to go out and put their money where their mouth is.
2: Yeah. uh, That's going to be fascinating. Look, the, the money is what always kills promotion and relegation in this country. And I'll give you a good example. I just was reading the other day. Now you remember that Charlotte FC was what three hundred million to get that team, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just read an article the other day that West Ham, some guys offered four hundred million for it, and it was turned down. And I know Newcastle's been up for sale, and they talk about Newcastle being three hundred million. How in the world is an EPL team like West Ham or Newcastle worth the same, roughly, as Charlotte FC? The answer is they have promotion relegation, and we don't. Because those teams are in, are always in danger of being devalued and brought down, whereas an MLS team never has that danger. That's it. That's the valuation difference, right? Yeah. There's no way that Charlotte FCs should be worth as much as West Ham or Newcastle United. No way. But they are. It's Because of that, it's yeah. Money. I,
0: I, you, we. I don't want to get into this because it, it, it brings out all the people that I hate arguing, uh, having these conversations <laughs> with because yeah. it's it's just never it never goes anywhere. Like if, if you if you're into it. I'm telling you, I'm excited for you. I'm happy that you appear to be getting what you want, uh, and I can't wait for you to go out and run out and get your Ford Madison jersey or your uh, Charlotte United jersey, whatever it is. I'm happy for you, I, and I'm, I am I will be sitting back watching you prove all of us wrong that promotion relegation can work and become the preeminent uh, structure in this country uh, as a sports model. I, I, I wish you the best, and I, and I hope it all works out. Um, uh, I enjoyed that people
2: instantly complained that it was just going to be within one league and not the whole thing. It wasn't good enough.
0: <laughs> that was my other thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, the other thing that really uh, uh, then comes into this that is interesting was the report in the Star-Telegram, Fort Worth newspaper, that people in Fort Worth are looking to build a $150 million soccer complex, something along the lines of Toyota Stadium and Toyota uh, Soccer Park, somewhere north of downtown Fort Worth.
2: Yeah, you're talking about a 10,000 seat stadium. As near as I can tell from the map, it's right north of 820 along 35 there, kind of where I think kind of where that movie theater is, just north of that, kind of before you get to the is it the 287 split off, that goes of, to you know, Denton or whatever that is not Denton off to I have to, no uh,
0: idea. I'm not Anyway, south of Alliance. I'm not, F, I'm not, Alliance. F, I'm not F, uh, Fort Worth smart how yeah. about
1: that?
2: Well, 10,000 seat stadium, 16 soccer fields, you know, they the goal is to have a pro club and an academy there have tournaments there. You know, there's a lot of talk in the article about, you know, the money and the tax revenue that's generated. There's a lot of comparisons to MoneyGram and the money it brings in and the money that FC Dallas has been a the club there with all the academy it brings in. There's all viable stuff there in this article. This is the second time now that they've actually floated this big sort of concept out to the public, you know, trying to raise awareness of it as an idea. The important part is, is that the whole thing is pinned on the idea that they're going to get a USL team, And that USL is attractive and and they, they even list they even claim that they've met with some owners and some various things. I actually have a very juicy rumor about a team that wants to move here. that's in the USL championship.
0: I don't want to say who it is yet, but uh, it's super attractive here. When you say move here, you mean Dallas, Fort Worth or just Fort Worth specifically?
2: Oh, the Metroplex in general uh, was what I had heard. Well, no, I take that back. I'm sorry. The rumor I heard was that there's a team that specifically wants to move to Fort Worth. And I heard that rumor two weeks ago. And then, and, I don't, and listen, again, my rumors are not like your barber told you. That's like, I mean, I internal chatter and people that know things told me. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, here's this story. So I completely buy that. There's a connectivity here with this idea of this stadium, get a USL championship team in there, get an Academy in there. It's completely viable Fort Worth is plenty big enough to support a USL championship team. The USL has, designated sort of markets, you know, where they kind of things sort of belong to sort of people, you know, you can't put another team in one of their other teams areas, you know, so Fort Worth to them is a viable opportunity. North Texas to them is not a Fort Worth team. It doesn't appear based on their behaviors in this scenario. So um, it's going to be kind of fascinating to see how it goes, you know.
0: Yeah, I got asked this question today if that actually is going to happen, and my response was uh, "It's just put it in the uh, – file it under the I'll believe it when I'm standing in it or on it folder um, because uh, we, we've heard these stories for so many years and so many times that something like yeah. this is going to happen and it never does. It always falls apart at the last minute or never actually is more than anything than a drawing. Uh, so well, I, at the- least that's where I stand on
2: it. Yeah, the, the amount of, you know, the, this is what the, what's in the article is obviously people that are in favor of this are putting out these numbers that are showing the uh, benefits of the revenue streams, the benefits of the tax base. You're going to have all this community stuff here, blah, blah, blah. There's there's even like a performing arts center that's involved in the whole thing to appeal to other markets, parts of your market that aren't down yeah. for the soccer necessarily. So, you know, there's some good viable looking stuff here that is all believable. But again, you got to get it over the finish line. You got there's some city council guys in the article talking about it positively. You know, get it over the finish line and then we'll believe it. And I think a big part of it is gonna be getting behind closed doors, getting whatever team that's interested to actually agree or getting USL to say, if someone's not moving there, we're gonna give you a franchise, whatever it's gonna be, that probably is the behind the scenes promise that has to happen in order to get it over the line, would be
0: my my guess. Yeah. The tenant and i saw some i saw a, a, a not a, a not small amount of reaction was well wait a second it's not even in downtown fort worth and it's, it's like guys <laughs> have you guys priced out real estate in yeah. downtown dallas for fort worth <laughs> i mean it it's a little expensive so if you want yeah. this you may have to compromise and and let it go somewhere north or outside your, your yeah. direct uh, urban area uh, you may not get everything you want do you want a club or not well- so
2: dial up a map and look at it. It's equivalent to like uh, Addison. It's not like it's in Frisco. <laughs> it's it's just north of 820, which is the same as like 635 in I terms know. of
0: geography. But everybody's got this whole romantic <laughs> I, I idea of walking to the stadium and you're like, but did people live in downtown Fort Worth in enough numbers to, I, anyway, so whatever. Um, uh, I if, if it works out great, again, it's like everything else we talked about today. Uh, I wish yeah. you the best. I hope Good luck. it works out. Yep. Um. Okay, anything else that we need to discuss uh, after this uh, fun Man, that was therapeutic a lot. discussion?
2: Yeah. yeah, that was a lot. Um, North Texas has a week off. Oh, I mean, Dallas signed a player from North
0: Texas. How cool is that? Oh, yeah, we should talk about this yeah. real quick. So, uh, you know, the transfer window is open, and I get a press release saying Dallas has acquired a player from its own club. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, working guys intended, right? They brought in a guy
2: from sure. third division in Portugal. He's played lights out. They invited him to first team training for like a month. He's been up training all the time. We've been saying they've needed a, a, a fifth center back since December, right? This guy's pretty solid. He's like 20 years old. He's got upside What's potential. His name? Kaiser Gomez. The Kaiser, you've
0: you've had eyes on him. Oh yes. What's the the buzz? Quick take on him?
2: Oh, he's a he's awesome. Uh, Listen, he's not Matt. Hedge is awesome, but he's a big, strong, physical defender. He can body a guy and got enough plenty of pace. Fat really fast can deal with quick strikers over the top. He's a pretty good passer. He's not an elite Chris Richards passer, but he's a pretty good passer out of the back and has decent feet. He's everything. Like, if, if, if you could draft this guy out of college, he'd be top three or four picks coming out of college. You know, he's, he's a terrific player. He has plenty of talent for Major League Soccer. Just needs some polishing, you know, as a fifth option terrific. I love it. He's going to probably keep playing for North Texas mostly, but they have them on the roster. Now, if person gets that card and gets suspended, or if somebody else gets hurt, like if, if you needed a center back tomorrow, I start him over Che 10 times out of 10. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. What
0: about oh, against, uh, against Nicosi? Oh
2: no, no. Nikosi's I think Nikosi's better right at this minute, but Nicosi has been in ML's camp for two years, you know, yeah. uh, but th- this guy's got similar sort of Nikosi skill sets Along the same lines, large, big, physical, strong, powerful, quick, but pretty good passer out on combined with that. You like a lot of those things. Look, MLS is a physical league, right? Little bitty guys get knocked around. This dude's not going to get knocked around. This guy's a horse. So um, I like him. Uh, I think like right away, the team was like, oh my. And they moved him up. He started getting moved up to first team training, like right out after he got here. He's played, he's been one of North Texas's best players. Matter of fact, he's been so good that they went back and got two more players from the same team, brought him in. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> they have, they have, actually Dallas hasn't announced it yet, but the team in Portugal did. So we, and, and I know for a fact one of them's here already. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Frisco football factory just continues yeah. to churn. I mean, this uh, this
2: is the kind of thing that excites me. So, like, people out there might be like, who cares about a fifth-string center back? Man, I care. This is what I think is awesome. No, that's what so, makes you Buzz
0: Carrick. Sir. Yeah,
2: right. I think it's terrific. You know, this is exactly what you want to do is you've went and got a third-division 20-year-old, and he looks like he's the part for Major League Soccer. Or, or if it's not in the end, you know, sell him off somewhere whatever. It's like it, he's perfectly good right now as a fifth-center back, He's going to train with Dallas. He's going to play with North Texas, just like they do with their homegrowns, whatever. It's great.
0: Hmm. Yeah, just sell
2: him. (laughs) Just sell them all. (laughs) Somebody joked the other day that, like, if Paxton had one more completed pass, he'll be sold. (laughs) I was like, uh, no, he's too banged up. But that's funny.
0: I mean, I laughed. But it's like, no, it's not. uh uh Yeah, it's somebody on the Discord, and I think, uh, I don't know who it was, whoever came up with the nickname, the official new nickname for FC Dallas is FC Puppy Mill.
2: Yeah, yeah it is. It is.
0: All right, well, don't forget, we need to remind you, write it down uh, in blood on a piece of paper. Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by soccer Ninety. Soccer 90 is absolutely your source for national team gear, FC Dallas gear, international club gear. They got a little bit of everything coming in every day right now. All kinds of new jerseys are uh, being shipped to the store. And by the way, there is a physical store at the stadium. If you didn't know that, you should go check out. It's like a little wonderland of soccer crap. Everything from Chivas jerseys, the new Chelsea stuff, Man City, and even the new USA gear and... Even most importantly, the new FC Dallas camo pre-match jersey is also now in stock too, and because you are my favorite third degree listener, you receive 25% off your order when you use the code third degree at checkout at soccer90.com.
2: Yeah, Peter, you can go there and get your knockoff
0: Huntsman shirt. You can go get your very own knockoff Huntsman shirt. Yeah. By the way, shout out to my good friend Philip Foos for wearing his Huntsman t-shirt. Uh, at the game outside of Denver last night and posting that picture on the interweb. He was a hero for doing that uh, as well. All right. Well, uh, you probably have noticed that there has been little to no Dan. Dan vacated the premises. He's so broken up about England and Dallas and just the general state of his soccer fandom. He quit on us in the middle of the podcast um, and is uh, probably very English drunk in a corner of his apartment somewhere. Oh, Come on, you South know, he had
2: away. tickets to Air Supply. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> what did he have to go do? He, he had tickets to something, but I don't think it was Air Supply. <laughs> God, How awesome would it be if it
0: was Air Supply? Yeah, that would be great. What if it was like a uh, uh, George Michael impersonator?
2: Uh, yeah, a... a that i don't even know what to say to that because it would be so awesome it would be uh, yeah
0: Yeah. or a mr bean review or something like that yeah Um, something very very english and ridiculous priscilla queen of the desert yeah yeah something like that all right well buzz thanks for uh helping everybody just talk it out and, and try to you know just get all this pain and awfulness off our chest and hopefully the uh the pod listener uh, got something out of this too. Yeah,
2: you're welcome. I mean, this is what we do, right? It's talk roster and tactics and coaching, uh, good or bad. This is what we do.
0: Yeah. Is there anything, just like one sliver of awesome goodness, we can leave everybody with?
2: Uh, Paxton he started two straight games. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, really,
0: really effing. All right, hey! Uh, thank you, FC Dallas curious fan. Uh, hopefully, we'll have something better to talk about next week on another edition of Third Degree the podcast.
1: Ouch, this hurts. Third degree, the Third Degree never podcast. Third degree, the Third Degree never podcast. Third degree, the Third Degree net podcast. Third degree, the Third Degree net podcast. Third degree, Thank mm-hmm. you.